is going on everybody welcome into another edition of the daily energy news beat stand up here on this gorgeous tuesday october 17th 2023 as always i'm your humble correspondent michael tanner coming to you from an undisclosed location here in dallas texas joined by the executive producer of the show the purveyor of the show and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website energynewsbeat.com Stuart turley my man how we doing today it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood hey i got to drive by some more wind farms that weren't turning. <laughs> Interesting, because there was actually a windy day in at least here in Dallas. So they, they didn't get any wind out west. Uh, well, they did. One half on this side was spinning. These weren't. And I got a picture of it because I got a theory. They're the old ones with the very, very small turbine that have been abandoned. Mm. Well, we More love that. that. Love some boots on the ground reporting. <laughs> you are you're live at the the International Oil Trade Show. Is that yep. what it is? Yep. And uh, in the Permian Basin International Oil and Gas Show. Yeah. Sounds sounds awesome. You still have an absolute banger of a of a show for us lined out. <laughs> Lots of stories. First up, COP28 can't start soon enough. COP28 in Dubai, climate negotiations at a crossroads. Next up, Reality Bites, why wind, solar, and electric car advocates must also love fossil fuels. Got to love a little creepy uh, John Kerry, Joe Biden image there. Um, so yeah, avoid that at all costs, folks. Next up, U.S. oil is back and ExxonMobil's $60 billion deal for Pioneer isn't even the biggest signal. Ooh, spicy stew. We'll dive into a lot of what's going on with the fallout between um, that big M&A deal that we saw a couple weeks ago. Next up, Africa's revolt against net zero. And then finally, China's coal power binge escalates over 300 more plants on its way. Well, that'll cover the new segment, Stu, and then toss it over to me. I'll quickly cover what happened in the financial markets today. Specifically, we saw the S&P 500 um, NASDAQ rise. We did see um, crude oil tumble a little bit, mainly off the back of some potential rumors that sanctions are easing on Venezuela. Very interesting. So we will cover all of that and a bag of chips near the end, guys. But first, as always, the news and analysis you are about to hear is brought to you by the world's greatest website, energynewsbeat.com, the best place for all of your energy news. Stu and the team do a great job of curating that website, making sure it stays up to speed with everything you need to know to be at the tip of the spear when it comes to the energy business. Um, you can check us out, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, wherever you get your podcast. The best way to support the show, go to YouTube at Energy Newsbeat. Go hit subscribe. Go like a few comment on the show. I'm tired of just having Stu comment on the stuff. Um, it's it's a joke. He only comments on every the third of every video. So um, we appreciate everybody who's who who who's reviewed and and, and sent in um, comments. You can do that via questions at energynewsbeat.com, or you can check out the description below. Has a great great uh, way to see all of the links, timestamps, stuff for uh, um, the show. I'm gonna Brett though, Stu. Where do you want to begin? Oh, I don't know. Let's start in my favorite country, China. Uh, China's coal power binge escalates over 300 more plants on the way. We're starting there for a reason here, Michael. This yep. is pretty crazy. This is just China's mad dash for uh, coal power continues. There's a couple weird numbers in here. They are issuing permits for 52 gigawatts in coal power. That's 300 coal plants. How about that ESG and climate warming over there from the folks that manufacture everything? Here is a report, quote, after the permitting spree of the past year, 
China has 243 gigawatts of coal fire capacity currently permitted and under construction. If the permitting rush is not stopped until projects that are currently announced or permitting stages have gained permits as, there will be a total of 392 gigawatts of new cold fire power capacity in the pipeline. <laughs> I love this one quote. Crayer, a lead analyst, whatever her name is, Lowry Mulverdi, clung to the rapidly dissipating hope that China still plans to keep those promise of peak carbon by 2030 and net zero emissions by 2050. E even as they're permitting more coal, they still have to come up and say, well, no, we're going to be net zero by 2050. Well, you know what? I think the Biden administration has given all of the United States permitting reform to China. And so okay. we have not we don't have any permitting experts over here in the U.S. Yeah, no kidding. All right. What's next? <laughs> Wasn't that funny? OK, here we are. We're going to my favorite place, Dubai. We're flying around from China to Dubai, COP28 in Dubai, climate negotiations at a crossroad. And I think China is probably right in the center of that crossroad, yep. Michael. <laughs> There's a cartoon, cute cartoon there. And you look at 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, and then 28 is there. And you see people at the bar either trying to pick each other up uh, and now they're having, I'll take checks, uh, bank order. Do you have any money? Uh, is there money down there? What is going on this year? And that's because there's such a, there's a great sequence of events in here, Michael, from COP27. And now we're coming down to COP28. Uh, with a leadership in the UAE be castinated by legacy media, similarly the conclusion of COP28, will it care? This is a hoot of an article, Michael. It's, it's kind of like sitting there going, in COP28, another high carbon footprint farce. <laughs> and they have the Saudi prince going to be there. They have Aramco going to be there. I got to get me a flight to Dubai to be there for this. Uh, yeah, you this can maybe a catch quote. a flight on John Kerry's private jet. We know that'll make a. We'll, we'll know that. Makes I a would not out there. ever want to ride with Lurch. There is no way that I could ever get my cart ratty carcass on a plane with Lurch. The economist John Kenneth Galbraith once remarked, "Meetings are indispensable when you don't want to do anything. <laughs> They're gonna go over there." and have ladies in the evening and they're going to have nothing to talk about because so it's is, economies. Is, is your prediction that COP28, is, is it going to be a slight about face when it comes to setting these ambitious climate targets? Or do you feel like there's all of this? Because right now there's all this noise. Every we've read, This is the, the fourth story we ran that said, hey, COP28 might be a little different. Might be a little bit, you know, you said MBS is going to be there. UAE is going to be there. You know, there's a lot of people within the oil and gas business they are going to be there and are giving a prominent voice. Do you see this as actually a shift in what's going to be the policies, quote unquote, that are going to come out of this? Or is this just a lot of noise around what will eventually just be the same old talking points? This is a great one because it rolls right into the next story, Michael. Reality bites why wind and solar are going to be needed in order for the energy transition. However, I want to go over a couple numbers in here. In COP28 in Dubai, 140 heads of state, senior government leaders, 70,000 participants. And I, pow, 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 pow. do you hear all those heads spinning? I can't wait to yep. see the prince walk in. Okay. 
reality bites, Michael, COP26, when you and I were talking about they snuck in natural gas as needed, it took longer than I had thought in order for it to be accepted. This is the year they're going to roll out natural gas as the queen of the prompt. In the picture on this one, looks like Lurch, I mean, uh, John Kerry is trying to really. He told a really funny joke, some Heinz ketchup joke. to. to Oh, yeah. Hey, if you slip again, I'm going to throw some ketchup on you on the stage and that'll flip people out. The Secret Service wouldn't know what to do. So uh, here it is. In this, it says, as I see it, uh, coal and natural gas are so essential that investing them is the epitome of sustainability because these fuels sustain our privileged way of life and our $25 trillion economy. For instance, in this article, provides 95 to 97% of our energy for transportation, coal, gas generators, 60% of the U.S. electricity. And I got into an argument for the very same point this is making, Michael. They go, but what about wind is actually 15% of our energy uh, that we're making with because of renewables? No. How did those renewables get on the grid? You got the minerals, you got everything else, you got the steel, all of the fossil fuels had to get them there, and then they're not sustainable. So anyway, I got really tickled at this one. Those two articles go hand in hand with each other. Yeah, and 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 so I think to your point, I think we are going to see a narrative shift when it comes to COP twenty eight. You you know, yes, we we've seen hints of it in twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. Maybe the coming out party. It's going to be interesting to see the, the 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 narrative and and if it's actual policy that's being you know and how far they go. Obviously, natural gas has to be a part of it. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. COP to. To stay up. When is COP28? It's coming up here, right? Oh, yeah. It's uh, next month. There you go. So the best place to stay up to speed on everything going on COP28, EMB, baby. That's right. Uh, Real quick, I want to give a shout out to Mark Mills. And he uh, has been on the podcast twice. And he's quoted in here is some of the information on it. Mark Mills. Got to love my podcast, uh, your podcast, our podcast. Let's go to Africa. Oh, my neck hurt. Just scratching my back. Sorry. Oh, I'm, I broke my arm patting my back. You know, hey, somebody's got to do it. What's uh, next? Africa. Africa revolt against net zero. This is one of my passions about being a humanitarian and a legend in my own mind. Not only am I a legend, I am a humanitarian. And guess what I get to do tomorrow? I'm talking to Cyrus Brooks from, uh, he's going to be in Africa and he's lining me up some African uh, thought leaders and big dogs to talk about African uh, stepping away from net zero. Africa's revolting against net zero and I'll have more on it. But this article is really cool. Then at the COP26 summit, oh, this one is actually in a thread again, Michael. You see how I wove that in there? Um, the Breakthrough Institute, I can't even, I'm I, Michael Vaha Ramachand and Seaver Wang of the Breakthrough Institute observed, quote, no matter what advocates and policymakers say, these cheap renewables only scenario remain the theoretical and unproven for wealthy countries. <laughs> Africans are tired of having high belt and road initiative, high cost of capital, 
high cost of energy being forced on them because nobody's loaning them money for fossil fuels. And that drives me nuts. Sorry. It is considering the fact that, you know, they have in it, you know, they have 13% of the world's global gas reserves, which is only slightly less than the Middle East. I mean, think about it. Africa has the same amount of natural gas as the Middle East, and we can't allow them to unlock it. Why? Because, because, oh, we got to it first and, you know, we had all our fun with, 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 with oil and now we all have, I mean, it's incredible it to me the, the, the amount of natural resources that Africa has that they're really not able to be exploited. I love that, the, you know, at one point they say the governments of Uganda and Tanzania say they intend to move forward with the projects regardless, arguing they can't afford not to exploit their natural resources while the world still runs on fossil fuels. I couldn't agree more. Uh, absolutely. But I, I guarantee you, we as a world should pay more for oil coming out. But I know it's an it's a world market. There needs to be an Africa ta only uh, Africa only tax so that we pay for the energy transition by buying from them more expensive and then selling it internally for them at a lower price. I'm all in on that. Yeah, this is a great article. Thomas Fozzi over at the Unheard. Yes. You know, he, he there's a bunch of different quotes in here. You've got the Senegalese president, Mackie Saul, who's also the president of the African Union. He's quoted in here basically saying that they've got no choice but to explode the largest gas reserves. Um, You've got the president of or the former VP of Nigeria making the exact same argument. Everybody. What's funny is everybody in Africa is on the same page. It's just us that for some reason can't get on their page. Oh, it's me. I, I'm all in, man. I'm a cheerleader. I'm like. Yeah, you're not the one holding it back, though. But yes, I agree. Um, right, we got to right. talk Exxon here. This is a wild article, Michael. Okay, this one. Let's go through this article. U.S. oil is back and ExxonMobil's $60, $60 billion deal is not, not even the biggest signal. And so when we roll through this, capital discipline, this is a great quote in here. Capital discipline in the U.S. industry hasn't gone away, and oil is at 85 to 90 barrels. Uh, this is from uh, Rob uh, Thummel, Senior Portfolio Manager at Tortoise uh, FCON in Kansas City. Uh, capital discipline in the U.S. industry has not gone away. And I'll tell you what, Michael, this is hats off to the oil and gas industry for not um, going away from it and that they are having the capital discipline not to just go nuts and start drilling again. On the other hand, it's going to keep the price up. So I think that's one of the biggest ones in here. Where oil companies have been spending their money, cut capital spending to $106 billion last year from $199 billion in 2014. That's a lot of wells not being drilled, Michael. Mm -hmm. And again, what this, what the deal signals is buying current production is going to be a lot easier than getting new production. Now, I think what's interesting is that his argument of peak oil production will continue to rise as we see rig counts continue to fall off. I know we did see an increase of three last week, but you know we're still 100 rigs lower than what we were last year. We're going to start seeing some of those declines soon. So I think it's I think it's interesting, yep. you know, money not being spent into capital and people being more disciplined is a yay for the oil and gas business. But it also comes at the cost of higher energy costs. If we if if, if we have these extraneous world events like what we're seeing right now, it can really do a, a number to oh. prices. You know, to give you an idea, in 2014, we spent about 200 billion on capital spending. Last year was about one hundred and six billion dollars. So that's just a. 
um, increase over about, or that's a decrease of about $90 million. There is, we spent about $45 billion per quarter on shareholder, on stock buybacks and dividends. So they're, they're, there's the same amount of money still going out. It's just going back into the shareholders, which they like. Now, let me, let's go to the one paragraph here where it's, or the uh, heading is U.S. crude energy security and big oil economics. There's two quotes in here that I want to read real quick. The super majors are taking capital out of offshore, Hatfeld said. They are reducing overseas development because it's more risky, uh, which is great for U.S. energy security. In the Permian, you get your capital back in little over a year, Hatfeld said. The return on investment is much faster and much higher because the wells begin to produce so quickly. Pretty cool little insight there that it's also energy security around the world and geopolitical stuff going on that they're really looking. And they put that in their, that was one of their fourth bullet points was energy security in their merger deck. So they're trying to hammer it home for sure. Isn't that great? So anyway, we got an awful lot going on. No, absolutely. Is that all, uh, is that all for the news? Oh, I got about 17 more stories, but I'm good for right now, dude. Cool. We'll quickly cover what's going on in finance. We did see the the S and P 500 up about one full percentage point. Nasdaq trades up about one point one percentage point. As I think some of the led by defense stocks today, I always find that hilarious. Um, when uh, <laughs> I wonder why Raytheon's up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we did see oil side. Oil did tumble. You know, we we're all the way up to a little bit above eighty eight dollars. Currently sitting eighty six ninety three. Really off. And we it was late movement. And Stu, I don't know how much insight you have on this, but really that dollar. Drop Drop from what we saw earlier in the afternoon comes off some rumors that Reuters dropped about probably right as we're sitting down here, Stu, that the Venezuelan government and opposition plan to resume long suspended talks on Tuesday in order to ease oil sanctions if President Nicolas Madro can commit to an internationally monitored election next year, according to multiple sources. So obviously, I doubt there's going to he's going to agree to monitor elections, but that seeming the restart of those talks already drops um, oil a dollar. It also seems to, it seems from, from, from analyst standpoint, um, specifically, where's my quote here? They were talking specifically about right here. Here we go. Um, John Cudliffe partner with again, capital. It's more of the same on Monday in terms of conflict in the Middle East being contained from affecting crude oil supplies. So yes, what's going on in Israel is not great. We'll continue to keep everybody out updated. But it seems to be as long as we don't think the Strait of Hormuz is going to get closed, all sort of kosher with oil. And and I don't necessarily and it seems to be again, um, I agree with the sentiment from John Cudcliffe here or Kid Cliff again, capital <laughs> again. It seems like have you ever seen what, what movie was that um, with uh, was it? Oh, what's that miracle? When he's got oh. the hockey players again, again, again. Um, who do you play for? So I'll stop quoting movies. Point is, um. As long as we know there is not going to be a disruption of that Strait of Hormuz or some of those larger pipelines, remember, we should theoretically be having sanctions on Iran. Stu talks about the Dark Fleet. Hmm, I wonder why Stu's been talking about the Dark Fleet. It's for times like this because it's pricing that in. So again, very, very interesting to see what happens. You know, it seems like that ceasefire failed today. I don't know, you know, Stu, maybe you give a quick update. It's if you're listening to this, it's it's Monday night. Um, we're recording this about 6 p.m. What's right. the latest in Israel right now? 
Um, I don't have any changes or updates. There's everybody keeps saying, uh, wait a minute, they're they're about to jump in. Oh, they're about to jump in. Oh, they're about to. The biggest change was the tongue from Iran. Iran, now it's causing a big question around the uh, Middle East. Are they abandoning Hamas? Kind of like uh, Biden abandoning all of our gear in uh, Afghanistan. And so it looks like uh, Iran, may the people are in the street saying death to America, but the Ayatollah is up there saying, oh, by the way, uh, we're not going to go stepping in with Hamas. It looks like they just threw Hamas under the bus. Or Hamas. It's a joke. Joke. Um. Okay. Um, anyway, so with that, though, I do want to say that our president, by lifting or ignoring the sanctions again on Venezuela, is energy and policy hypocrisy of despicable, huge trend uh, issues. I heard that today and I was like, what a chowderhead. We have a president that is a chowderhead because he's going to lift sanctions again for Venezuela. And we've got the great oil and gas people in the United States that we could do this. This is nuts. Yeah. It's not very America first. It's, it's, and you know, maybe it, we don't need to be, I mean, and that gets into the whole argument of you know, do you come at a mindset of America first versus everybody else first? I think that's a legitimate argument, but you, I can absolutely agree with you there that this is this is not an America first policy, and that the you know we'd be much better getting those two million barrels a day here rather than going out and trying to get it from Venezuela. But unfortunately, Stu, neither you and I get to make that decision, so we just sit here and read the news. What else has got you worked up today? Oh, I am excited about getting to meet with all the CEOs and record podcasts. I got two days of about 90 people I got to talk to. I can't wait. And you're going to be outside. Hopefully we can get power to you. Hopefully you're not hooked up to a generator that's being fed by a wind farm. You're going to laugh. I brought my solar generator. Uh, It lasts. I can run my office of 10 screens. It's big enough that I can run 10 screens eight hours on it. Trust me, we're going to laugh. Hate solar, wind, nuclear. We love it all. I love it all. Got me some hydro. Contacts. So, Got me some right, hydro. All right, guys. With that, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna dig a river out there in Midland. That's exactly <laughs> what we're gonna do. All right, guys. With that, we're gonna let you get out of here. Get back to work. Appreciate you guys checking us out. I'm here on the world's greatest podcast for Stuart Turley. I'm Michael Tanner. We'll see you tomorrow, folks. I think I'm doing a solo show tomorrow, so you'll get me more. <laughs> <laughs>